Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Yo, welcome to Unfair with your boy Jimmy. You could have been doing anything else in the world, but you chose to ride with us, and we appreciate that. It's solo weekend, so I will take the wheel myself to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few things that might surprise you. And as always, you can catch us on WMQG Radio, Tuesdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern. So today I'm going to talk about one superstar NFL quarterback who did not get the contract that they wanted. Uh, the sneaky manipulativeness of the NBA, which has made me very proud of them and actually made me think twice about whether or not they can one day challenge the NFL. And two star players on an NBA team have made me question whether or not they truly love the game of basketball. But first, I want to start with this. So... After almost a week of cryptic teasing on social media by Washington, D.C. area reporters, the Washington Post bombshell, quote unquote, story on Daniel Snyder's Washington franchise finally dropped today. And in an exclusive given to the Washington Post, um, 15 women who worked for the Washington team alleged sexual harassment by former scouts and members of Daniel Snyder's own inner circle. Um, one of the women, Emily Appigate, spoke on the record while the other 14 women requested anonymity, citing a fear of litigation. And part of what they're alleging, despite the very inappropriate, crass and um, uncomfortable environment that they are all alleging that they were subjected to in terms of sexual harassment. They also talk about in this Washington Post article the hostile environment that was created by Daniel Snyder in terms of berating employees uh, in terms of having a very small HR department, which made it very difficult for them to have their claims of sexual harassment investigated. And obviously this looks terrible for the Washington franchise after they were had just started to see some ray of sunshine in terms of finally choosing or being forced to choose to do the right thing by changing the name of the franchise. This report drops and it makes things even worse for a franchise that, I mean, has had major difficulties winning has constantly made themselves look bad by a lot of the decision-making of the owner. And if you've heard me talk about Daniel Snyder before, you've heard me refer to him as the James Dolan of the NFL, by which I typically mean he's, the, to me, the worst and the least successful owner of the NFL. You know, there's some things about him that I won't mention that have made it difficult for me to like him, and this doesn't surprise me. Now, to be fair to him, in these reports, none of the allegations are directly against him or directly against uh, Bruce Allen, who I believe was the former general manager of Washington, who I can't remember if he resigned or if he was fired in uh, October, September, October of last year. So, you know, I do want to put that in there as well. But generally in this kind of a situation, if you have 
in owner, whoever is at the top, if there is this pattern of harassment and inappropriate behavior, and this is alleged to have take place over a 13-year period between 2006 and 2019, then it looks very, very bad. And so far, what the response has been from Washington, I will say this, we'll get more into it uh, probably on uh, our next show that Jay and I do together, is that they look absolutely guilty in this for three different reasons. One, none of the women who are under the non-disclosure agreement, and that is why they fear litigation were they to put their name to their claims. None of those women have been let out of that non-disclosure agreement. So if this did not happen, if this pattern of sexual harassment wasn't in existence in the organization, then there would be no reason for them to not let them out of that non-disclosure agreement. If they had nothing to hide, they have not done that. And so far, given that these this bombshell has been teased by DC reporters over a week. We've heard absolutely nothing from owner Daniel Snyder, who repeatedly denied the request of the Washington post to interview him and get his side of the story that was about to come out. And all three of the individuals in the front office there in Washington who were alleged to have been a part of this, uh, Larry Michael, who was the radio announcer. So not so much in the front office, but still that's a very, uh, a very prestigious position. That's a very popular position within the organization uh, has resigned or has opted for early retirement. I'll say Alexis San- Alex Santos, the director of player personnel is no longer with the team as well as his assistant director of player personnel, Richard Mann, the second. So for these reasons, if you add all these signs together so far from what we know, it looks as though this organization was definitely guilty. And part of what people are wondering is whether or not this will result in Daniel Snyder having to be forced to sell his team, which many Washington fans want and which many fans who know about the things that Daniel Snyder has done over the years that have contributed to this being what was once a proud franchise, now a very, I guess, in a sense, they've been a bit of a disgrace in a sense of not having achieved the level of success that they did in the late 80s, early 90s. So whether or not he ends up losing his team over this, a la Donald Sterling, remains to be seen. But for right now, all signs point to these claims definitely being true, that Daniel Snyder did a poor job of being able to filter out this type of activity in his organization because in any organization, no organization is perfect. These things like this, just because of how some men are, unfortunately, these things happen before this pattern to happen over such an extended period of time and have happened to multiple women who have had to deal with this. And this often creates and gives on to uh, trauma and to emotional and psychological pain. Then in that sense, he could be deemed responsible for this and could suffer the repercussions of the NFL. Now he has hired his own high powered counsel to review the policies and practices of his organization, but that's not going to save him because all that's going to do is yield recommendations for how they can improve things, but it won't speak to whether or not he was a part of this. So if there is any email or any text message or any conversation that might've been recorded that proves that Daniel Snyder knew about this and did nothing to clean it up, then I think he will definitely lose his team as he should. But for right now, we have to wait and see what happens as more information on this comes out. So moving on from that, uh, this week, July 15th in the NFL marked the end of, well, I guess that was the deadline for the franchise tender to be signed by a player 
or for them to sign to a long-term contract. So you have such players as Derrick Henry signing a four-year, $50 million deal, $25 million guaranteed. You had defensive end Miles Garrett, who was last seen on the football field, cracking Mason Rudolph over the head with a helmet, signing a five-year, $125 million deal. He's a supreme talented defensive end, so that makes sense. Hopefully he keeps his nose clean on and off the field and gets all the money that he deserves. And you had several other players like uh, defensive tackle Chris Jones of the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs, who was just as equally important to that Super Bowl victory as Patrick Mahomes and Damian Williams were. But not surprisingly, but surprisingly absent in terms of those players who received the long-term contract that they wanted was Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott, which outside of Tom Brady and probably Patrick Mahomes is probably the most famous quarterback in the country. Um, who will have to play this season under the franchise tag. So he'll make $31 million, which is good because that's top 10 uh, in his position. But it's not the long-term contract that he was wanting. As a matter of fact, I read a report that Dak turned down a $33 million contract per season, $100 million guaranteed, which at least shows you what the – I guess what the floor is for what he's wanting. So maybe he's wanting more so something of upwards of 35, 36, 37 million a year and however much guaranteed. And that price is going to be interesting now when you reflect it against the contract that Patrick Mahomes signed. We went into details on the Mahomes contract in our show last week, so I won't do that. But that is going to play an effect in basically every big time quarterback deal that comes after this. So some people believe that, okay, because he has only one or two playoff wins to his credit and because the team was you know, pretty much a 500 team last season, he, he, they didn't win against teams that had winning records, that part of that falls on Dak Prescott. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't to a certain degree. I mean, it does because he's the quarterback, but to how much that falls on him, I mean, there are a lot of factors that could play into that. An injured offensive line, Zeke Elliott not being exactly what he should have been, the defense not being able to get turnovers at all you know, sort of play together in terms of explaining that. But as the top position, as the quarterback who gets the majority of the credit when they win, the quarterback always gets the majority of the discredit when they don't win. So what's been interesting is this back and forth, this sort of parrying and jousting between Jerry Jones in the front office and Dak Prescott to be able to compromise and find a contract that is satisfactory for both. So now that we know that Dak Prescott is going to become the first Dallas Cowboys quarterback to play under the franchise tag, um, this makes the future that much more interesting because unlike teams who have a quarterback under contract, you can sign them to an extension at any point during the season because they're under contract. Whereas with the franchise tender, they have to wait until the season is over with in order to uh, negotiate for a, another long-term contract or at least make another attempt at being able to come to an agreement on a contract. So if I'm wrong about that, somebody let me know. But in terms of which side to take, and I think that everybody – at some point, you have to take a side in this, whether or not you think Dak Prescott should get the amount of money that he's wanting, no matter what that amount is, or if Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones and the rest of the front office are doing the right thing by digging in their heels and not giving him more than what they've already offered him. And neither side has been willing to move from their position, which I respect, but it puts them in a very precarious position because if they try to sign Dak to the franchise tender again next season, it's going to go up. It's probably going to be 35, 36 or 37 million. And then after that, probably in the 40 range, because that's how the franchise contract works. It goes up, you know, substantially more each season. And we saw this with Kirk Cousins in his contract standoff with the Washington football team, which led to him becoming a Minnesota Viking and getting, getting a fully, fully guaranteed contract. Now, what I don't like about this and why I think that Jerry in the front office are 
setting themselves up for destruction and why I'm taking the side of Dak Prescott on this is that they, for some reason, they don't have a long enough memory because they don't remember what it was like to go through season after season of not having stability at the quarterback position. And that's what Dak brings you. I know he's not Lamar Jackson. I know he's not Brady. I know he's not Mahomes. But he stabilizes that position in a way that makes the organization look good off the field. And on the field, he has proved to be a a competent quarterback. Because think of what he's facing. Not only is he a quarterback in the NFL where every play you have guys twice your size trying to kill you, but he's the quarterback of the most famous franchise (laughs) the most highly valued franchise in any American sport. And he's got the pressure of all the fans globally, Dallas Cowboys fans who are wanting a championship just like any other fan base. Dak, when you think about it, probably faces the most pressure of any quarterback in the NFL for that reason because he is the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And still he's able to go out there and be a good quarterback. He's not been great, but, I mean, last season he threw for a lot of passing yards. He had over 30 touchdowns. I mean, and that's a big part of, you know, of much of what you can ask of your quarterback. So he's shown that he can be a good to very good quarterback and that he represents them well off the field because when you play a quarterback, that's what you're paying them for, not because of what they do on the field and not just because of that, but because of how they represent your franchise and are the ambassador of your team off the field. So outside of Jerry Jones, if Jerry Jones was any other owner and not Jerry Jones the rock star, then Dak Prescott will be the face of the most popular and highly valued franchise in the country. So that's, I think, part of the reason why he's wanting more than they think that he deserves because he's talking about what he does on the field and what he faces off the field they're probably just focusing on what he does on the field in order to justify not giving him the kind of contract he deserves so they don't have a long enough memory because after the Troy Aikman years and I remember this very vividly because it was pretty funny to watch from about 2001 to 2006 Dallas faced this this revolving door this turnstile of quarterbacks so you had your that was the era of Chad Hutchinson and a lot of these names will bring horror and terrible memories to the minds and to the hearts of Dallas Cowboys fans you had Chad Hutchinson you had Vinny Testaverde who was 98 years old at the time you had Quincy Carter Anthony Wright Ryan Leaf Clint Sterner you had that revolving door of quarterbacks and four of them started games in the same season which is horrible from 2001 to 2006 until you looked up signed and started an undrafted free agent out of Illinois by the name of Tony Romo who stabilized that position for 10 years and again I know he wasn't Peyton Manning or Tom Brady but still to me he was one of the best quarterbacks in football didn't come up clutch but still stabilized that position on and off the field and then when he goes down permanently you have Dak Prescott fourth round quarterback there to take on the pressure and to take the leadership and take control of the team and that's what he's done since then so they have easily forgotten that five years that they went through because they think because they're Dallas they're not going to go through that again and I'm here to tell you yes you can go through that again because look at all the franchises who over the last five to ten to fifteen years have not been able to get the quarterback position the way they want to for whatever reason whether it's drafting the wrong guy whether it's injuries whether it's not being able to give the contract the kind of contract that the guy wants or that you feel like they deserve. Think of these quarterbacks who have had to struggle, whose fans have had to suffer because that position has not been stabilized. You have uh, Washington, who had like one good year out of RG3, maybe one good year out of Kirk Cousins, and that was it. You have Chicago. You have Cleveland, question mark, Baker Mayfield. You have Jacksonville since Mark Brunel. You have the Raiders. You have the Jets. You have Miami. We'll see what Tua does. And you have Cincinnati. We'll see what Burrow does, who have all had to fight year in and year out to try to figure out the quarterback position, the most 
the most important position on your offense. So Dallas feels like because they're the Cowboys, they can't go back to that. And I'm telling you, yes, you can if you don't treat Dak Prescott the way that he deserves to be treated and give him the money that he deserves because he does, he's done enough to deserve that. Now, I've said in the past, if he's asking for like 40 to 42, that's way too much. But I don't think he's asking for that because he knows that the organization can't do that. And he's got to know that he's not worth that. It doesn't matter what Patrick Mahomes signed for because that, in a sense, doesn't have as much to do with his contract as probably he thinks it might. But either way, they need to figure out a way to come to an agreement. So he's going to play under the franchise tender this season. And after that, the front office needs to figure something out. They need to do it quick. They need to already have their game plan structured so that when that time comes, they don't waste time and incur more bad publicity or allow him more time to give give himself more reasons in order to seek a contract elsewhere. So that's what I think about that. We'll see what happens. But um, Dallas, give the man his money. Give it to him. And as I transition on to something Dallas has to be thinking about is the fact that Philadelphia has stabilized their quarterback position with Carson Wentz. And I really do think that the Giants have as well. I think Daniel Jones is a better version of Eli Manning, and they won two Super Bowls with him when they put the right defense around him. So they seem to have stabilized their position. We'll see what Dwayne Haskins does for Washington. But Dallas better figure it out quick or else you can be the only team in the division without the quarterback position stabilized if Dak decides to say to hell with it and go to one of these other teams who will appreciate him more and give him the kind of contract that he wants so moving on to the NBA and I prefaced this earlier in the sense of the NBA has made me very proud now they're starting to learn from the NFL they're starting to get manipulative now in the NFL what we know is that they will manipulate their schedule in order to sort of create primetime games or create games around a time where it's going to matter the most. Like I remember several years back when the NFL started to make their divisional games to close out the season because you have divisional races where playoff seeding is of the utmost importance and will be determined by those last one to two to three games, making those divisional games because the intensity is higher, the playoff atmosphere is created, and it's really good television. It's really good football because nobody's mailing it in. Nobody's benching starters. They're actually out there going for it. So I think the NBA has learned from this. Now, two weeks from today, when I'm recording my next solo show, it should be in the middle of the first game of the NBA restart between the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, with Zion Williamson, he having left the bubble today in order to attend a family matter, a family medical emergency, and I pray for him and his family that that turns out well. We don't know if he's going to be back for that game because there will be a period of time where when he does return to the bubble at some point, he's going to have to quarantine, and that may or may not affect his availability for this first game because he still has to practice getting some semblance of game shape before he can get out there, or else, you know, knowing him and knowing any player, he risks getting injured, and we don't want that for Zion. We can't have that because we already went through the first two months of the season without him. So everybody knows that the reason why the NBA brought back 22 teams instead of 16, at least in terms of by record, is to have Zion, one of their biggest draws now and will be for the next 10 to 12 years, to have his team in it as they're in the thick of fighting for a playoff spot. The eighth spot currently is held by the Memphis Grizzlies, who have a three-and-a-half game lead for that spot over the New Orleans Pelicans, who are three-and-a-half back. So these final eight games, which were called seeding games, will mostly determine at the bottom of each conference who's going to make it. So as it shapes up right now, Memphis could hold on to that spot because the first seven spots are basically taken. Or New Orleans, if they make a run, 
can ascend to that spot. And the Sacramento Kings are in there, but I don't think they will. They've had too many players tested for COVID, and I don't think they're better than the Pelicans or the Grizzlies. So it's out of those two. So when you look at manipulating the schedule with these A games, I think it will become apparent to you what the NBA is trying to do without me even having to tell you. So let's look at the final games for Memphis. So they start Friday, July 31st, against Portland, who really doesn't even want to be there anyway. As a matter of fact, that was the only team to vote against the restart. So um, that's gonna, I think they're going to win that game. You have them going up against San Antonio, who I don't think is going to have LaMarcus Aldridge because he had surgery and DeMar DeRozan doesn't want to be there. So that's probably a W. And then you have them going up against New Orleans. Now, that's an ESPN game for obvious reasons. Um, so that, could, that game could go either way when you have the top two rookies going head-to-head who are both on teams that play hard, play tough, and that they're fun to watch. So then after that, look at the schedule for the Grizzlies. You have Utah, who's a bona fide playoff team. You have the Thunder, who's a bona fide playoff team. You have the defending champion Toronto Raptors. You have the Boston Celtics, one of the youngest ascending teams, top four in the East. And then they finish with the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one seed and the best defense in professional basketball. That's their final five that they're going to have to fight through in order to retain that number eight spot. So let's flip over to the New Orleans Pelicans' final eight games led by Zion Williamson. So you have uh, going up against the Utah Jazz. As I said earlier, that's going to be a tough game going either way. You go up against the Clippers, which will also be a tough game. And then the game against Memphis, as I mentioned. And now these are New Orleans' final five games. Sacramento, Washington, San Antonio, Sacramento again, and Orlando. All teams that we know they are better than. Probably the five easiest games to finish out this final eight for any team in this bubble. So when you put two and two together, what the NBA is trying to do is they're trying to get Memphis out of that eighth spot and get New Orleans into that eighth spot. Now, I don't mean in sort of a Tim Donahue um, conspiracy theory type way. I mean that they manipulate the schedule in order to create an outcome that's more favorable to them because the Lakers versus the Grizzlies is nowhere near as good or nowhere near the draw that the Lakers versus Zion and the Pelicans would be. And part of the reason why is this, because you have the, the revenge narrative. You have all the players who got shipped off of the Lakers for Anthony Davis having a chance to go at him in a seven-game series to start the playoffs. And what's interesting about the NBA playoffs, and I see this a lot, I saw this last year with the Clippers and Golden State, is that Oftentimes, the one seed's first round matchup is usually their toughest because it's a team that, you know, it's them against the world. Nobody expects them to win. They go in there and grind it out, just like the Clippers. Like last year in the Western Conference playoffs, that first round matchup that Golden State had against the Clippers that took them six games, that was their toughest matchup. And they had Kevin Durant for a large part of that series. So if the Lakers have to go in here against New Orleans and fight against um, all those players, who felt, who were hurt, who were spurned, who were pissed off that they all got traded away for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis going against his former team. That's going to be a grind. That's going to go six. That's going to be tough. And under these conditions, we don't know exactly what to expect, even from the stars, even from the veterans. But that's going to be fantastic basketball to watch. So that's what the NBA is wanting. They're wanting Memphis out of that spot, and they're wanting New Orleans in that spot. And with the way that this schedule is structured, I think that that's exactly what they can do because it's all but certain that the Lakers are going to be in that one spot because they're five and a half up over the Clippers who have the Nuggets just right behind them. So all the Lakers need to do is probably win. I think the magic number is three. 
three victories, so they can go three and five in their final eight and still hold on to that number one seed. But if you're looking at you know the Grizzlies who grind it out and John Morant is a superstar, and you have New Orleans who's going to fight you all the way, and it looks like that number one spot is not an envious position to be in as opposed to being the two seed like the Clippers most likely will be and facing the Dallas Mavericks, which won't be a walk in the park, but they're going to beat them in five, whereas the Lakers, it might take them six. Hell, it might even take them seven if they keep losing players, role players, important role players the way that they have uh, over the next couple of weeks. So that's going to be really interesting to see. But NBA, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing, and I like it. So to end the show, um, one of the things I was thinking about the other day is if Kobe Bryant were still here or when he was in the league and this type of thing happened, some type of global pandemic that shut down the sport for a period of time, um, how much work would he still get in? Would he take time from the game? Would he just keep the basketball where it is, not pick it up, spend time with family, right? Uh, you know, he always had a lot of interest. Uh, how would he handle that? Would he do that, or would he continue to work around his obsession of the game? Now, if you've seen pictures of or video of him and Gigi practicing in their home gym, then you know that obviously that means he has had a gym in his home, and that most likely because Kobe had this sort of almost pathological obsession with the game that he would not go very long, even during these types of circumstances, even during an NBA shutdown and really a uh, you know global sort of stay-at-home shutdown due to the coronavirus, uh, he would not go very long without picking up a basketball. As a matter of fact, I don't think Kobe could go four minutes probably without a basketball in his hand. Uh, you know, we'd often see Instagram or Twitter post of LeBron James working out staying in shape, doing stuff with the ball during the shutdown, uh, as well as Zion Williamson, who said that he went back to when he was five. He and his dad, that's how he got in such tremendous shape leading up to the NBA restart um, by working really hard, by working with the working with the ball on the court, off the court, everything he could do in order to improve his body, to get in the kind of shape that he wanted to get into and to become the player that he wants to be sooner rather than later. So, Taking all that into account and all the other videos I had seen of other NBA players, stars, and non-stars who were doing some type of work with the ball, getting shots up, dribbling around their home, whatever it is, if I'm reading this correctly, I don't understand how this NBA player could say what they said or that this that this could be true about them. And that's Bucks forward Chris Middleton, uh, all-star, you know, just signed a, a good – you know, good-sized contract over the offseason with the Milwaukee Bucks, generally looked at as the number two, as the Robin to Giannis Antetokounmpo's Batman. I don't understand how, because I saw this report earlier this week where it says he's gone, hasn't touched a ball in two to three months. And I remember around the beginning of the shutdown, Giannis said he didn't have a goal in his house. And I think uh, Chris Middleton said the exact same thing, and that was a part of the reason why they hadn't really done much with the basketball. Now, I can understand, especially for Giannis, just the grind that the NBA regular season could be. And I know he got nicked up, as a lot of stars do, and he's carrying the franchise on his back. I understand, you know, taking a week or two off from the game just to decompress, to try to take the beginnings of this shutdown as the time to invigorate oneself mentally, emotionally, spend the kind of valuable time around the family that you normally don't get to because you're traveling so much, practicing, playing, because that's just the rigors of the NBA season, taking a week or two off and then going back in there and trying to remain you know, somewhat a version of the player that's helped you to be an MVP and most likely a two-time MVP for Giannis as well as for Chris Middleton to make himself into one of the best shooters in the game. I don't understand for the life of me how they could go months plural months without picking up a basketball 
and trying to, as best as they could, stay or at least keep their skills in peak physical condition if they couldn't keep their bodies in peak physical condition because they weren't allowed to have access to the same type of trainers, training, or facilities that they normally would throughout the course of the season. So I thought to myself, how could an NBA basketball player go that long without touching a basketball, without shooting? And the only thing I could come up with is that even though these two individuals may enjoy playing basketball and it's done so much for them, it's taken them so far. And, you know, Giannis is a superstar. Middleton, to me, is a star. They can't love the game. You don't love the game if you could go that long without being a part of the game, even under these most difficult circumstances. And this isn't something to be taken lightly, especially for the Bucks, the front office, and the Bucks fans. Because, for one, the Bucks are a title contender to come out of the East. I mean, they've dominated teams just like the Golden State Warriors had been because of Giannis's brilliance and his freak athleticism, because of the players that they have around them that are so tough that really buy in on defense that can shoot the three like Eric Bledsoe, who I believe is recovering from COVID, and Chris Middleton, even Brooke Lopez being able to shoot threes at his size. And just that stifling defense that they play on the other side, they have earned that number one seed. So if you're part of that team, why would you not do all you can, including at least picking up the ball and shooting it in order to help your team maintain that level of play as fast as possible when the NBA starts back up so that you can come out of the East and make it to the championship. So, I mean, that's, I guess, in a sense, that's part of the reason why I don't understand that. Why would you not want to do that in order to help your team to remain a contender? And part of what Chris Middleton's job is not just to hit threes, it's not to play off Giannis, is to make him stay, is to make Giannis believe that this team around him is good enough in order to compete for championships for the next five to seven years because after next season, he can become an unrestricted free agent. And if Giannis, after this experience in the NBA bubble, depending upon how his team performs, follows the lead of several other NBA stars who have one year left on their deal, like Anthony Davis, like a Paul George, and say, I'm not going to be returning, so I'm telling you that now, which means that you can trade me if you like, this could result in that if Mr. I haven't picked up the ball in two to three months, Middleton comes up short again in the playoffs as he did last season, which affected their ability mightily to be successful because he is so dependent on opposite Giannis because Giannis draws so much attention and because he has so much freedom and opportunity in order to play off of him and do what he does best, which is to hit threes. So I don't understand it. There may be other NBA players who went that long without touching a basketball who, to me, may not love the sport or be obsessed with it as much as a Kobe or LeBron are. But either way, if this team doesn't make it as far as they could because it's all about the little details. It's all about the nuances of the game. And by the time this team, these players who haven't picked up a ball and really played in so long can get their skill set back up to postseason level, they may already be out of the playoffs because they can – because as young as the Celtics are, they could run right past them. The Heat, for whatever freakish reason, under these circumstances, could run right past them. The Sixers somehow, Lightning could strike both Giannis, both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and they could fly right past them. Like, there's not a given. This is not a guarantee that the Bucks make it to the finals. And if they don't, people are going to look back on this and say this is one of the reasons why they didn't make it because they didn't do what they needed to do during the shutdown in order to maintain that level of play as someone like a LeBron or Zion did. So we appreciate you listening. As always, almost said half a bird sports show, unfair sports, unfair podcast, unfair with Jay and Jimmy. Uh, shout outs to Mike, Bob, and Wendy, the production team who has held us down for years, still doing the same thing, production crew. 
to all of our loyal listeners, to all of our new listeners as well. And those of you who check out our video clips from our Monday show, we definitely appreciate that. Um, anytime Tuesday comes around, the full show still does drop on the usual podcast radio show outlets if you want the whole show or if you just like watching our 10 to 12 minute clips a day where we break the show up um and give you the clips over a two to three day period go ahead and do that as well but please suggest the show support the show to others we can't live we can't do this show we can't thrive in what we're doing without your support so we definitely appreciate that so y'all be safe take care of yourselves love yourself love somebody wear a mask try to practice social distancing as much as possible so that we can work together to defeat COVID, as well as work together to defeat institutional racism because we're still fighting that fight as well and with that that has been the unfair sports show (laughs) peace Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.